0: baker she her an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at university of east london you're listening to fantasy book swap where a guest and i swap children's fantasy fiction one classic and one contemporary and we discuss them today i'm joined by kate towner crafter voracious reader and the best person to visit an art gallery with hello what have you been up to
1: Hi, Ali. Yeah, I went to the farmers market this morning, and then I've put all of the the things from the farmers market into my slow cooker so I can eat them tomorrow. That sounds delicious. What did you get? I got beef brisket, and then lots and lots of vegetables, and I've put in some tomato, smoked tomato vinegar that I also got from the farmers market. Wow, that smoked tomato vinegar sounds amazing. I'm not sure if they smoke the tomatoes or tomato the vinegar and then smoke it, but (laughs) it could be either. Oh,
0: it's an adventure anyway.
1: Yes, it's sort of balsamic-y, but...
0: Right, yeah. we we did the most, um, we, we did a kind of cupboard cup clear, well I say we, uh, Steve, did a cupboard <laughs> clear out today and kind of just looking at what we had um, and for, you know, big shopping purposes. And we discovered that we have four bottles of balsamic vinegar.
1: That means it's your very middle class, doesn't it?
0: It really does uh, in a very distressing kind of way, I know it but must be it must be a strain, actually, yes, I think that I think at least two of them were presents, uh, but I have no memory of actually going out of my way to buy any balsamic vinegar,
1: but it's, it's not, it doesn't count if it was a present it's, <laughs> it, especially not if it was from fen to a middle class,
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I I can't remember where we got them from. They're they're definitely like (laughs) pre-pandemic. But we also discovered we got uh, 700 grams of desiccated
1: coconut. It's one of the things I cannot abide desiccating. I
0: I I have no idea why we have desiccated coconut and why we have. Well, I know why we have one packet of it, because I bought it to make something with, um, to do some baking with. But the other one, no idea. And we've also got four packets of different types of open baking sugar. Oh. Again, a leftover from the pandemic, I think, when I when I tried to control everything in my life through baking.
1: So <laughs> uh, I, I'm one of the people who was making sourdough bread before the pandemic. So ah. I already had a sourdough starter before it was cool.
0: Oh, right. I've never managed to keep a sourdough starter alive, to be
1: honest. So, well, let me let me know if you want a bit of mine at some point. I'm very impressed.
0: Yes, please. So, um, your suggestion to me was Elizabeth Elizabeth e. Nesbit's e. hmm. House of Arden, which I have to say I first read in 2009 for the first iteration of my PhD when I was originally looking at chosen one narratives and duty stroke destiny, which, you know, then I completely changed direction. Um, so when do you, f- can you summarize the plot first of all, and then we'll talk about where you, when you first read it.
1: Um, yeah, So it is, I mean, basically in the plot um, you have, um, I've forgotten his name now. Is it Edred and Edwina Arden? El- 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 Edred and Elfrida. Elfrida, the- yes. Poor yes. kids. Poor children, I'm getting those yeah. names. Um, who um, are, without knowing it at the time, they descended from a noble family and they end up going back in time to the history of their family to different parts of the of British history and different times when there were also children called Edrid and Elfrida. Um, and they're doing this to try and help their family mm. um, and try and dis- discover more about how they can help their family in the present time, um, which they do in the course of the plot and in the sequel book.
0: Yeah, it's specifically about treasure, isn't it? They're 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 hunting for some kind of mythic or not mythical,
1: well, they're, tra- they're yeah, tra- from yeah. the family treasure which was lost at some point in history. Yes, we're so, getting catted again. Um, yeah, yeah. so they're they're trying, but they're trying to save their family because they, at the beginning of the book, they're relatively poor, and they their aunt who took them in after the loss of their parents is um ah oh, plastic cat um the the aunt who took them in after the loss of their parents is. Um, you know, letting out lodgings, mm. um, which is a quite depressing way to make their living the way it's described in the book with some quite horrible people lodging with them. Um, so then they they try to discover the treasure because they think it will help rescue their family from this. And that's not how the book turns out, but that's the aim at the beginning of the book.
0: Yes, yes, because they find out quite early on that um, Edred is the the next... Lord, next Lord Arden, yes, Arden, yeah. So that's that's kind of no. I think that's within the first three chapters, so that it's yeah. not any kind of um, it, it's not a surprise. It's just that yeah. what they what they inherit or what he inherits is a fairly tumble down,
1: yeah, um, it's the title with house. some with a manor house, but no, yeah, no money to keep it up with. Um, so that's why they're trying to look for the treasure. And and an old man tells them that he's the first Edred Arden who's got the chance to save them because you have to do it between when you're nine and you're ten. So he yeah. says magic rhyme before he turns ten.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's that sort of, you know, sort of so far so familiar in trope because there's, it, there's a long history of, of distressed, gentle children uh, trying to save their family fortunes, not least in in Nesbitt's books. So I, that's an interesting, but not kind of unusual setup. But I think we can come back and talk in a bit about like what is quite unusual about this book. Can you remember when you first read it?
1: Well, no, because because I was the type of child who grew up entirely surrounded by this sort of book. So my, my granny had one of these, my grandfather on that side died a long time before my granny did, um, and they even even before he died, um, they had one of these houses that is entirely covered in bookshelves. It was right. It was three cottages knocked together. So every cor- it had lots of long thin corridors on both floors, and every corridor and every stairwell was covered in books. And How I
0: amazing!
1: I don't remember, and they, it was all covered in cobwebs because she didn't believe in killing spiders. And then the cobwebs were covered in <laughs> dog drool because of the dogs that she had and the amount of drool they produced. <laughs> um, And then of course, and then, so I was taken to that house quite a lot. And I was, I I don't remember learning to read. And I don't remember which ones I inherited, I encountered when, Um, but then my, my parents' house was largely like that as well. I think dad said he put up 33 bookshelves when they moved into my, the first of the childhood homes, I remember, which was when dad was a curate. So we had no money, but we had absolute tons of books Um, And then, of course, various people in the family from mum's side largely, because mum's side is the ones who are book obsessed, handed these books down to us. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I got given them for various, like I used to get, ask everybody in the family for books and then they would give me piles of books. So I'd go home from Christmas or whatever with, you know, 30 extra books that people had given me. I think people like giving books to a bookish young kid, you know they, it's I know that myself as an aunt I like giving my kids books it feels satisfying yes my it meetings, does. I mean books
0: and it, so it's, I, it, it's about sharing, that that kind of giving is about sharing joy that you had as yeah. a child with with other children so that
1: that's really special I mean yeah. the, the books were published you know 70 years before I was reading them so it definitely isn't my generation of books seen as but but, but yeah. it's part of family history and part of yeah, you know, my, my dad's family, dad grew up with like Reader's Digesters books and and yeah. car manuals. He didn't grow up with the literary tradition, but my yes. mum did. And in fact, my sorry, I don't I don't know if they will kill me for mentioning this, but when <laughs> dad um proposed to her, Mum put some conditions on it. And one of them was that he had to read a whole reading list that she gave him.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah. So he, he grew up reading classic sci-fi like Asimov and stuff, so I had all of that in the house, yeah. but I had all of mum's children's fantasy books and children's historical books, so House of Arden was one of those, definitely. So, no, I don't remember when I read it, but certainly I would have reread it many times as a child.
0: I, I absolutely loved Nesbitt as a child, and all of the kind of... I think the more, the more, the ones that kind of maybe stayed in print longer, like mm. Five Children in It and uh, The Phoenix of the Carpet and um, The Story of the Amulet, uh, mm. I loved those. But I also really loved her kind of more sort of treasure seeker books, you know, the would be goods and the, yeah, yeah, the best of all children books. Uh, but I, I really don't remember encountering. Um, House the Harding. House of Garden or Harding's Luck as a child and I don't know if that's because they did go out of print um, but I th- I think it's, they're fascinating because well actually no, let, let's come back to that later on mm. so um, this book was published first in I think 1907 1907
1: it says nineteen oh seven in the front of the book, so I believe yes. that. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, and it's kind of an important one of the important plot points is that they jump back in time in sort of and end up in years ending in seven throughout mm. throughout the novel, don't they? And it's post H.G. Wells' time machine, and and Wells and Nesbit were kind of part of the same bohemian set although I don't think they got on terribly well. No, really, I didn't know that.
1: That's, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Um, in Wells's novella, the purpose of time travel is to consider the past and the future of humanity and uh, the end game of kind of inequality. It's about, you know, what will happen if inequality isn't addressed. And Nesbitt was also a Fabian socialist. Mm. How much of that? What would you say are the functions of magical time travel? Because it's not science fictional like right, in Wells. What would you say were the functions of that for Nesbitt's
1: book? Um, I mean, it's completely different to Wells. I mean, yeah. Wells is coming at it as a polemicist, which you don't yes. get as much of in the Nesbitt. Um I mean, I think part of it um, is sort of sideways educational. Like, I think she was doing the same thing that Doctor Who started out doing, of yes. using time travel as a way to teach children about history. And there is a, it's interesting, I hadn't realised she was from that sort of socialist background, but it is actually, there's there's a lot of, you um, I mean, we can come back to this later, but there's a lot of sort of ch- people when they meet um, some of the child characters can tell that they're well born, better born than they mm. seem to be. So there's a lot of sort of not not so much like being rich is good, but your being of a higher birth is good. And mm. although there, it is, um, especially in Harding's Luck, the sequel, it is undercut by sort of showing that people can be good people from any walk of life, but it's definitely mm. a know-your-place type of book. People should be, you know, people who are descended from lords should be in the castle, people who are not should not be in the castle. It's very much.
0: And there's a certain sense of noblesse oblige about it as well, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. the old man at the beginning of the book and also the witch that they encounter both say to Idrid and Alfreda, that they have a duty to do better in terms of the housing of their tenants and, yeah. and you're looking after their people better and obviously I mean this is you know long I mean, before that, that
1: is, yeah that is one of the reasons they're looking for the treasure isn't it to make mm-hmm. everything better for the tenants but as you say mm-hmm. not to give the treasure away and and get it taxed and used to build hospitals <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: yeah but that that's the kind of socialism i mean like nesbitt was was never a revolutionary in Mm -hmm. terms of socialism, and it's quite interesting that she also was not a feminist Mm. yeah Uh, and she was was definitely not pro uh suffrage suffragist movement which is fascinating to me uh given the kind of life's life that that she led and the people she was around, but yeah, she's, uh, it is, I don't, I think it's perhaps later on, I don't know what was going on in her life at the time, but it just doesn't seem to me to have the kind of lightness of touch of, of her other novels for children, you know, the more famous ones. Mm. um, you know it's not there, there are flashes of humor but not to the same extent and and some bits of are, are actually kind of drift towards sentimentality um yeah. I'm thinking particularly the ending of the novel which you know let's say right now spoilers <laughs> so what what do you think about the ending um Is it
1: all right if I go back a little bit to talk about feminism or whatever? Um, One of the things that I was worried about going back and rereading this, as I always am rereading something from my childhood, is whether it would suddenly turn out to have horrible flaws that I hadn't noticed at the time. Yes. Um, And this one, I'm glad to say, didn't really. Like, I did notice it worried me that, I mean, Elfrida is the older child. She's Mm. 12, I think, when Edward is 10. Um, but she does defer to him quite a lot because because he's the boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, she does get an adventure, an entire adventure to herself that Edward doesn't mm-hmm. get. So so although it's not feminist, it's not sort of... It does have a certain amount of of men and natural leaders in it. But it, it certainly respects self as an equal protagonist and gives her probably slightly more page time.
0: Yes, I agree. And also, she... Isn't there to be the good one?
1: No, neither of them are the good one.
0: Yes, exactly. And I, I love their relationship. That's very to me. That was a very natural sibling relationship.
1: Yeah, and the magic only works if you haven't argued with your sibling for three yes. days. Yes, which is it, it does avoid largely being preachy. The books, you know, it's not. Oh, these are good children, and therefore they went back in time. It's uh, yeah yeah it, yeah they, they, they both, are realistically children i think
0: yes and they both they both have to learn uh, self-control yeah which is um you know whether or not we whatever we think about that kind of self-control thing but they have to learn to manage their their differences without resorting to argument or um you know fighting with each other which i think is also quite interesting mm.
1: um
0: and I, yeah. I definitely that's my favorite bit that and the and the rhymes and poems that were
1: my yeah. favorite bit yeah yeah and the, the children have different strengths you know Alfred is the one who can make up the poems for example and but um I was also I was looking for racism as as you do unfortunately in older mm. books and to I think genu- I think genuinely not racist um mm. like there are people of color in the end of the book because mm-hmm. um, that's where the two missing adults have been held. They've been held by um, a South American tribe, but the the world of the South American tribe is described as being idealistic and they only kept the men captive because they didn't want them to go back and tell white people who would come in and spoil mm-hmm. everything. So although it's a slightly patronizing view of people of color, it's it, for the time. It's mm. actually not that bad and and now that you say that she's a socialist they it does describe sort of a socialist paradise where the mm. the um the tribe lives in and that's yes. so so you know I was it it although it's not feminist it's not sexist except in the sense yeah. of people keeping to their roles so girls do one thing and boys do another thing and it's not yeah. and it's not racist. Although there's there's not that many people of color but in the sequel Harding's Luck there's also a black clergyman yes there
0: I'm, is. I yeah, read yeah. it
1: straight after to you know, because I've been very fond of both books but yeah yes um, so it's not it, so I can see the socialism in that sense in that partly that the idealized society is socialist and partly in that obviously socialism is by doctrine internationalist.
0: Yes. So,
1: so being racist and socialist doesn't make any sense in terms of history.
0: And I, I think it's a thread, with the exception of actually five children in it, which does have a very unfortunate—I um, don't know how to describe it—really kind of a boy's own adventure aspect, where mm. they one of the children wishes for uh, wishes that they could be attacked by, and I'm doing scare quotes now, red Indians. Yeah and the um and the Native Americans are depicted in extremely Caricature. caricatured ways. Yes. In almost as though they they don't you know, they're not a real set of people. So, uh,
1: so as, a, as a sort of a film cliche almost.
0: Yeah, yeah, like they're they're kind of like pixies or something and this is just yeah. what they do. And it, it's yeah, that that's quite I I discuss it with them. Um, Daisy Mae Johnson when when I was um, when I recorded with her, but yeah. I, otherwise, there is there isn't the kind of chauvinism or xenophobia that there often is in a lot of contemporary children's novels or novels from mm. the early twentieth century, in particular. You know, in in some of the books that one of the books they I think it's the Treasure Seekers, the children decide to try and kidnap a princess. <laughs> as you do in order to raise a load of money. And they meet this princess and realize that her life is incredibly boring. And they don't really want they don't really want to kidnap her and and become princes and princesses at all. Um which is which is quite funny. Um but you know that the fact because she's like Russian or something, it's not about her they they don't there's no mockery of her as being a foreigner.
1: Hmm. It's
0: kind of like, well, your life is really boring because you are a princess and you have to do boring princess stuff all the time, and we don't want to do that. We want to go on adventures. So um, that's quite interesting. So there is also, a
1: bit of sort of be happy with your own your own role in life, isn't there, in all of her books?
0: Yeah, but also that, that striving for stuff that's better does not necessarily... Thaw you know a the better thing may not be better hmm. and b um you know everybody you know you you might be uh thinking that your life is very boring um and you want something more exciting but what you look think of as more exciting might actually not be more exciting it yeah. might actually be just as boring and it just in a different way
1: yeah I so think- talking about the end of the book then, yes as we were going to um so spoilers, obviously. Yeah. But what they end up doing is rescuing um, their father and their uncle who was engaged to... Have I got it the right way around? Yes. So their soon-to-be uncle who was engaged to their aunt, who yes. was their father's best friend, who were held captive in this. But but, but actually, they, they themselves aren't able to do the rescuing because they've broken the rules of the magic by then. Yeah. So they have to use Cousin Richard's magic and... Cousin Richard is the protagonist of the next book, Harding's Slug. Yeah,
0: um,
1: and they go in disguise as white cats, which is a cat person I very much enjoyed. So their father and and soon and soon to be step uncle, um, they um, don't know that it's them, but as mm-hmm. white cats, because all of the magic works by white things, so white flowers, white seeds, white birds, and so on. As white cats, they go and um, you know, rescue their father and soon to be uncle and bring them back. And that's the treasure that they find rather than finding monetary treasure at this point in the books.
0: Yeah. So it's it's sort of like the real treasure being the return of the of the aunt the, the father and father's best friend who marries their aunt. He was a very minor character actually in the book, which is the something aunt, quite yeah. You know, it get, the getting rid of the parents or getting rid of the parental figures thing is, is done quite ingeniously because actually what she's doing is off trying to sort out... Um,
1: all the legalities for All the
0: legalities be. of the inheritance, yeah. Yeah. So that that's really interesting. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, so- there's always a shortage of parents in children's books, and that's partly because you can't have an adventure if your parents are watching you, but...
0: Yeah, you the, the the kind of peril, the the kind of danger isn't hmm. always going to be there if there are parents. And and yeah. you know, some authors who who subvert that and do it really well, but yes, a lot of the time And it's always
1: an Amazon's thing where you just go off to your to your island in the middle of a lake for a week without any of yes. your parents, without any adult supervision whatsoever. And um, yeah.
0: Or the other one is going to boarding school, of course. As yeah. with the chalet school,
1: yeah, or having your parents die, as in Harry Potter, and loads and loads of others. So. Yes, exactly.
0: Mm. Yeah, and that—that's. I th- I sometimes think that's a bit of a cop out because actually, getting finding adventures and sneaking away from your parents can also be quite helpful and quite interesting.
1: Yeah, but um, or you have sort of horrible parental figures is the last choice. So, in fact, having having your aunt be. On you know, off doing legal stuff is quite, and it, it does mean the aunt is doing something use, something useful as well. She's not just running a lodging house. She's not just worried about money. She's off sorting things out.
0: Yeah, actually, that that's another inter- Another point, isn't it, that the fact that the children were looked down on as the uh, as the niece and nephew of the the sort of seaside landlady. Um, even though it's obviously quite a genteel mm. Um
1: I mean, you be- have to have money to be a landlady Ooh. because you have to own the property, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. But equally, it's something where you can only make money if you are essentially surfing other people. So it's it's that un- in between role like governess and so on, teacher. Yes,
0: and the 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 other children will call them things like yeah, lodgings, lodgings. yeah, and and the people are kind of very that it's sort of seen as they're being very demanding by you know constantly wanting hot water and um
1: mm, you know being times and
0: yes exactly so yeah it's not and that I think is is quite well well written that it's not that is work you know mm. she the the aunt is is actually involved in doing something that is a job
1: it's not yeah um yeah you know, she's not doing it because she that's not, her. Not, she's not doing the upper class thing of passive collection of income.
0: Yes, yes, and she's and she's not. So, uh, and they're not living off kind of
1: inheritance, other family
0: members, yeah. or whatever. Yeah.
1: So, and of course, I, it's a myth that women have never worked in historical periods. Of you know, of yeah. course, there's always been women who are servants and nurses and mm. all of that sort of thing. But actually, women of all classes have always worked in one way or another.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and and this is only you know only seven years before the outbreak of of First World Wars. So yeah, and even
1: being an upper class hostess and putting on dinner parties to help yes. your husband's career is work, you know.
0: And also that there's the 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 link to empire and colonialism, which took a lot of marriageable, in inverted commas, upper class men out of circulation. Out of the pool. Yeah, yeah, out of the pool. So she's you know. She's kind of expect. She has assumed, therefore, that she is now a maiden aunt, and yeah. that is going to be her her role in life is yeah. to look after the children.
1: And she well. does teach them some of the sort of upper class stuff of how do you mm. manage in a castle like this, and what should you be doing? Yes, she's partly disseminating the privilege mm. down a generation, such as it is. Um,
0: and they one of the things that the children want her to do is to homeschool them. But mm. she has to say to them, I can't do that yes. because I've got a job. You know, I have yes. to run the lodging house. And that that kind of um, understanding from the children that they're, they're
1: practicalities.
0: There are practicalities in life and, and financial practicalities are a big mm. part of that. yeah
1: Yeah. so and sorry I did have a point there I've lost it um yeah so so there's always I think that's actually quite typical in the Nesbits. the adults are always doing something that means they're not with the children yes they're busy they're they've got other distractions going on
0: and and working working parents are a big part of that Mm. um you know, either, either. oh, in um, Five Children and It, the mother has to go away and look after an, a, uh, an ill parent, a grandmother, I think. Of yeah. course, in the railway children, probably her most yes. well-known book, mother has to earn a living by writing because yes. um, their father's been unjustly imprisoned. Um, and so all of those sorts of... That, that that kind of thing of like even middle class women have you know have a role to play within mm. society. I mean, it's, yet- it's
1: slightly unfair that all of these women have to work, isn't it? So it's seen as a you know, step down in circumstances, but it's still. Yeah, mm. uh, I'm um, just thinking back onto the, the socialism point, One of the themes in this book is a sort of disdain and anger for. The way modern day working modern day to the book I mean so nine so nineteen oh seven working class people live you know all yeah. of the tenements and the the way that the green land has been dug up and replaced with horrible yes. streets and horrible houses. So again, it's it's quite a paternalistic type of socialism. You know, the the poorer people that need to be rescued from themselves or rescued yes. from their horrible circumstances. But it is at least trying to do something about those circumstances.
0: Yeah, and it there was a kind of an early back to the land type of and and something actually that that mm. Nesbit in every almost every one of her books writes something about how awful it is living in cities.
1: Yeah, and it goes into you know, someone some way with the arts and crafts, crafts movement Definitely. type thing as well, doesn't it? You know, the respect for people who make things by hand and the disgust for factories and so on.
0: Yes, um, and uh, and you know, and actually, she wasn't wrong if you think about the way that cities were at the you know, oh, yeah. late nineteenth and early twentieth century. They were very unhealthy and horrible. And you see that
1: in the in Harding's Luck in particular, where. Cousin Richard's dad dies in a horror I think in a factory accident, some yes, sort of work accident. Yeah. And and then he's crippled by the woman he's left with. And um you know, that, that's <laughs> you know, and the, the damage that does to him and the horrible situation he lives in, you know, unwanted by his his quasi aunt and you know, not able, and, and you know, laughed at by the kids because of his crutches and so on, and not able to get around, and and how much happier he is living on the road with the man who who sort of sort of adopts him, and and yeah. then they're, they're both happier the minute they get back out to green spaces again.
0: Yes, and that 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 character, the the um, who actually turns out to be not a totally good person himself.
1: He's a very very, great person, isn't he?
0: Yeah, there's very little condemnation of the kind of use of of Dickie as kind of um you know Oliver
1: Twist, isn't it? They take him to break into a house.
0: Yes, he is that that is very much Oliver Twist, but there's no condemnation of Dickie and Mm. very little condemnation of the man who uses him as a tool. I mean, partly
1: because he has second thoughts immediately and doesn't actually want to do it the minute he realizes Dickie is a person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's not used as a kind of moral. Well, you're not being bashed over the head with a moral, which is actually sometimes something I always really liked about Nesbitt when I was, uh, read her as a child. Yeah. That she, she doesn't kind of. Step out of the story and tell you
1: how you are supposed to be feeling about the story. She just lets it go. Sometimes she says, uh, as I am sure you already know, she does. She does addresses to the reader, Mm -hmm. like I won't bother telling you because I am sure you've worked it out already, and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So, sort of narrator voice, but no, she doesn't use it to pull a moral. She uses it to move the story along, usually
0: absolutely and actually um that's one of my favorite things it's one of the Bastable books and I can't remember which one it is where the the child narrator says oh I'm not going to tell you which one of us is is telling the story um you know it doesn't really matter you don't have you don't have to know and it's of no interest to you and then it's all about and Oswald, who was so brave and mm-hmm. so, and and brilliant, and with his customary good humour, and and that that's kind of used as a very comical way.
1: And, it's nice, yeah,
0: yeah. I love those books so much; they're mm-hmm. so much fun to read. Uh, actually, I, I think.
1: I, I I actually think House of Arden was my favourite of all of the Nesbitts and Harding's Luck, although Harding's Luck I didn't enjoy rereading as much as I did House mm. of Arden because it's more disjointed. Mm. And also, I, are we all right to talk about the ending of Harding's Luck as oh, well?
0: Oh, please do. Yes, yeah, spoilers. Yeah, spoilers.
1: So in um, Harding's Luck, they they firstly they do find the treasure. Um, so so, as well as bringing the father back, they get the money to be able to do all of these repairs and make a better life for all of the poor tenants and so on. Mm-hmm. but then, right at the end, um cousin Richard or Dickie, depending on how you view him, decides he wants to live permanently in the past yes um therefore, the Alfred and Elfrida's father, who he had displaced as Lord Arden, goes back to being Lord Arden, thinking that he was dead, Richard, mm-hmm. I mean was dead, and um. And he get, he does that largely because he likes the world where his leg was never damaged better. Yeah. He likes being able to run around more. He likes the people there more.
0: Mm.
1: So he chooses essentially to give up his modern day life, give up his modern day title, and go back in time and live in the time period where he'd spent his time, where yeah. he was you know not not injured, was not in pain, was able to run around and play. So I mm. that struck me partly as you know ableist and so on, and partly as a gigantic cop out that mm. that the Alfred and Elfri- Edrid and Elfrida's father can go back to being the lord, and everyone can forget about cousin Richard and
0: Yeah, I I kind of agree with you about that. I had really forgotten a lot of that plot point until oh. I reread uh, Harding's Luck. Um, And yes, I remembered him choosing to go and live in the past because of, um, you know, his his injury and uh, the pain that he was in a lot of the time. Um, And also, you know, he had this marvellous adventure there. Mm. But I'd totally forgotten about how handy it was that... uh, I mean, he, his role, Dickie's role largely, is to teach um, Edred to be a better
1: person. Yeah.
0: And that kind of now, reading that now, it's kind of like, uh he yeah. he's
1: brought up, at least in our in our timeline, as a lower class person. So yes. there's a certain amount of classism of getting him out of the way again.
0: Yes um and yes.
1: and then getting the disabled kid out of the way, um after
0: and- having taught a moral lesson, yeah, which, uh, yeah, I, I think that's one of the reason why these two books aren't one of my favorites i I think I think that there are other I prefer the books where they're mm. yeah, less kind of um, but then, you know. Nesbitt wrote so much and a lot of the time she was very much like mother in um, in in the railway children she mm. was writing to to you know keep up her house to feed her family and her husband was or her did they ever marry I can't
1: remember. I don't know.
0: um the father of her children anyway was a dreadful man um and uh and and you know so she couldn't you know hundred percent of her books could not be Brilliant all of the time, and the ones that have survived, I think, are the ones that kind of are more in tune with kind of modern sensibilities, and, and mm. yeah, you know, that's that's perfectly okay. And of course, there are plenty of other books that are contemporaneous um, with this book yeah. where there's a, a a kind of magical in some way uh, solving of uh, a disability,
1: and yeah. and, of co- and of course and of course. You know, it is a lot of people given the choice to not be in chronic pain, not yes. and have the choice to run around with other kids. You know, it's a completely understandable motivation. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. And of course, and one can't romanticise disability and do the, oh, yes, tiny Tim in Dickens exists to teach us all a lesson. and
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh it, it, and you know it's not sweetness and like growing up in chronic pain and growing up being sneered at by people around you
0: no and and yeah. also you know for for Dickie in particular, you know actually it him being in danger a lot of the time, yeah you know w- would he even have lived um yeah. you know had had he not suddenly you know found out that he was part of a noble family and therefore and could had magic that he could go back in time, probably not. Um, yeah. He would have ended up as a beggar. And- he learned.
1: He learned all of these practical skills, which again, I'm going back to the arts and crafts type yes. sensibility. You know, he learned how to do wood carving and so on, and then he brought that back as a skill into the pre- into the present, so they could make a mon- make a living by selling the yes. carvings. Um, and he brought back the the ethos of doing that as well. The mm. idea that it was a better life to live by honest labor than by stealing from people yeah people yes. and, the, and of course he because of that Mr. Bates changes his life and becomes a dog breeder as an honest trade and
0: yes, yeah, all of that yeah yeah, yeah.
1: so there's, it's so it's not exactly classist, but it's very um this life is better than that life
0: yeah and and uh, actually in a perfectly as you say in a perfectly reasonable way yeah. Um, and and I think because Nesbitt was very often writing from, you know, the inspiration of her children and writing what she knew and so on.
1: And, and she's, very, she's very, one of the reasons her books survive is she's very good at talking to children. You yes. know, the, the books are still enjoyable to read in the same way that Swallows and Amazons is, for example, mm, partly yeah. because it's very much not patronising.
0: Yeah, and and interestingly enough, um, Ransom was also a socialist so yes there you go <laughs> but yeah I think that that creation of of that world is is a very a very fulfilling world but also you know the majority of her books are not goody goody books you know yeah. they're, not, they're not really they're not written to point a religious moral yes there are morals in them because you know it's but their morals about being a good person you know yeah. don't David. don't
1: quarrel with your brother that sort of thing
0: yeah yeah and and you know if you if you do have if you are fortunate it is your job to uh help people who are less fortunate and that that's perfectly okay morals to have i think yes they're not you know you must go to church every sunday or you will go to hell or you must morals. never tell
1: a lie you know they get into trouble and then then they get out of trouble again yes um, And there's the whole thing, you know, with the sort of, when they're all captured and held in the tower, you know, when they're in genuine peril by the standards of the time, and all because um, Elfrida knew the rhyme, the um, gunpowder prop rhyme.
0: Oh, yes, I've forgotten that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. which is in both books. That's in House of Arden and Harding's Luck from two different points of view. You get it from Elfrida's point of view to start with, and you get it from Cousin Richard's or Dickie's point of view the second time round. But yeah. again they're captured because she knows remember remember the 5th of november gunpowder treason and plot yeah yes. that, that's what gets them all put in prison because they think she must have known something about the gunpowder they think she must be a traitor yeah. yeah or that she must know traitors you know she yes. must have heard it from somebody in her family we're running out of time kate we better we've, we've not around. even talked about abusha at all
0: i know just too much to say about Nesbit.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about
0: Arushar then, shall we? Yeah, let's talk about Arushar. Right, I've got to now find the love Here we go. Arushar and the End of Time by Roshani Chokshi. 12-year-old Arushar has a tendency to stretch the truth in order to fit in at school. Whilst her classmates are jetting off to exotic locales, She'll be at home in the Museum of Ancient Indian Art and Culture, where her mother works. Is it any wonder that Aru makes up stories about being royalty, traveling to Paris and having a chauffeur? When Aru's schoolmates dare her to prove that the museum's lamp of Bharata is cursed, she doesn't think that there's any harm in lighting it. Little does Aru know that lighting the lamp has dire consequences. She unwittingly frees the sleeper, an ancient demon whose duty it is to awaken the god of destruction. Her classmates and beloved mother are frozen in time. And, accompanied by a wisecracking pigeon and her long-lost half-sister, it's up to Aru to save them. Mm. Dun, 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 etc. So... There are, I think, as we both said when we were chatting previously, there are things that link the two books. Mm. And there are kind of interesting pairings. So one of the things that it struck me was the sibling relationship in both of the books. So there's Minnie and this but I mean, the difference is that these are two sisters in uh, Aru Shah.
1: Except uh, they've never met before, so they don't have the history of growing up together.
0: Yes, and Aru's quite a lonely child at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Probably one of the reasons I we think we're led to believe one of the reasons why she
1: makes up all these stories, because her mum's gone a lot. She feels very lonely. I think they change schools or something a yeah. lot as well, don't they? And she goes and she-
0: to a private school where all of the other children are very well-to-do and she isn't yeah so well, she certainly can't... not
1: by the standards of the school they're not yes. impoverished
0: yes yes they live they live about in the flat a flat above the museum yeah um but what so how do you feel that the sibling relationship works in in uh Arusha and the end of time
1: It's it's weird, isn't it? Because they didn't even know, and they're they're siblings in a sort of a mystical sense of Mm. being descended from brother gods or whatever the correct term is. So they're not siblings in the sense of children who've grown up pinching each other and pushing each other out of stuff. Yes. So they, but they, and I think Minnie, the other girl, has a more traditional family. I think she has more of a nuclear family, whereas whereas Aru has a missing father. So, they essentially build their sibling relationship during the book, which yeah. I don't think I've seen before so much. yeah, I they do they do um they have different strengths and weaknesses, so Minnie is much more of a nerd, and arrow's much more outgoing and much more imaginative, I guess,
0: and very impulsive, yeah, I think well, Minnie's much more of a warrior,
1: mm. yes, but she also she knows more stuff so so they do sort of reinforce each other in that way. You know, they don't, they don't come in with... The, so um, Aru didn't know about this heritage and Minnie did and she sort of trained for it and prepared for it and made herself a backpack full of useful things, which I love.
0: Mm, yes. <laughs> yeah, know, she, she's, she's, she's very prepared.
1: Very practical. Whereas Aru's coming at it from from nowhere, really.
0: Yeah, and she's, she's even wearing her Spider-Man pajamas She's really properly <laughs> <fully> dressed. <laughs> which
1: yeah. is an excellent, heroic outfit. but Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and so Aru's coming out at it. You know, learning as she goes, and she's our viewpoint character. And Minnie is is like the sort of the the you know in in your superhero team, you very often have somebody who's the support person with or who know you know who. She's she's also almost the Giles from Buffy.
0: Yes, she is. Yeah. Or um, oh, what's his name from the new the sidekick from the new Spider Man films? Whose name I just Ned forgot. is it? Yes. Yes. So she's, she's that kind of
1: character. She's Mm -hmm. the sort of, she gets into the sort of the best friend role over the course of the book. And yeah, as you say, Ari is lonely and she's sort of acting out because of being lonely. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, half of her, because one of the themes in the book is that Ari's a liar, Mm -hmm. but she's actually what I would say more imaginative and more that she Um a lot of the things that she makes up as stories are things that her mum promised her but then didn't do, so yes. like to to Paris that her <laughs> mum again is absent because she's working all the time mm. and trying to build up this museum I think the Museum of Indian Arts and Culture
0: Yes and, 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 as,
1: a, and as a result she's sort of neglecting Ari rather a lot mm. but not from um, malice
0: No, and we do find out towards the end of the book that one of the things her mum is doing is her mum is aware of her mum is partly responsible for the the cursed uh light mm. uh diwa and so she is actually going all over the world finding out you know finding um things to bring back to the museum but also carrying out research to sort out this problem that yes. uh Aru has accidentally unleashed so yeah. um Yeah, while she thinks that her mum doesn't really care about her. Her mum actually does really care Mm. about her.
1: Um, Yeah, but she's sort of overstretched and busy in a way that a lot of Nesbitt's mums are, actually. Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, So the other the other thing that I felt was a good link between the two was the grumpy magical animals. <laughs> now, I have to yes. say, I love a grumpy magical animal.
1: Yes. And they're, they're both – I mean, we've got the Moldy warp who we didn't really talk about in House <laughs> of Arden, but yeah. she's, he's the, the – it's an archaic word for mole. Yes. Um, and, and he's he was, a white mole. So when and, you t-
0: said um, earlier about the the magical being white – it all link. it links because back he, to the white because model. he's a white animal yes
1: um and he's like the the heraldic animal of the of lord arden and that's why that's how the model gets into the book and boo who is uh, is he a pigeon or some other type of like person yeah is essentially a, a god who's has his powers knocked back for some reason i didn't follow all of that entirely but mm. but, but basically you've got two grumpy older male supernatural animals in one in each book mm. who are sort of organizing the children and and guiding them but also telling them off and Mm. um, you know and and they can to some extent make the magic go but not entirely
0: yes and there are very there are very strong while they're kind of almost adult figures Mm. there are very much there are strong conditions magical
1: conditions and they're they're very capricious as well yes like you have to talk to them the right way and do the thing the right way
0: yeah and at one point boo um the pigeon actually gets captured mm. um by the sleeper demon and they have to they end up having to rescue him as well yeah um which is a, an interesting subversion of a lot of that kind of
1: wise magical guardian
0: yeah yeah which is i found interesting
1: I mean, it's the same problem as having parents in children's books. Is you have to have some reason to have them not able to do everything, mm-hmm. either because they don't want to, like the Moldy Warp, or they can only do it because yeah, under certain conditions, like the Moldy Warp, or because they themselves have had their powers knocked back, as Boo has had. Mm. Yeah. Um, so if you ha- if you just have a you know or or you know the um, I've forgotten the name of it, but the five children and it. This, oh, the Samiads. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know they. You know, so they're grumpy and annoyed and they don't want to. So it gives the children another problem to solve of how do you get your magical animal to actually help you?
0: Yes. Um, And it's one of the things that we talked about before, which is kind of the the pacing of this novel Mm. is that it's, it's clearly the first novel in a series. Mm. So at the end, I found slightly unsatisfying mm. um, in that it, it introduces two new characters at the end.
1: One of whom who, is a quasi-love interest character.
0: Yeah. who we, I'm kind of like, hmm, what? Where did he, he come from? Yeah. And why is he there? Yeah, because up to then you've
1: just got two girls hanging out and you've got the mother as then the next. So you've got two women of colour, which, you, I mean, girls of colour, which you never normally get in. It is, yes. I mean, I didn't really know about the Rick Riordan imprint that this book is from, but it does seem to be doing a load of good in in promoting, you know, writers from, from. Um, yeah. Writers who are people of colour and writers who were writing from other traditions.
0: Yes, so this is based on um one of the uh one of the fa- very famous um very ancient um epics. So like last last episode I was talking with Nina and Matt about the epic of Gilgamesh, mm. which uh saw what who's also writing within Rick Riordan in print um, was writing about. And this is from Hindu mythology. Um, it's a very, very ancient story. And I must say that I was very conscious when I was reading it. I don't know. I, I, I have read the Ramayana, which is the other big epic, which is story of, of Sita and Rama. But I, I, I do remember there being a TV adaptation of this mm. origin story then I'm, I'm probably going to say this horribly wrongly but the marahabata mm. i apologize for the my dreadful pronunciation of that and so you know all these kind of deities semi-deities people of uh with mystical powers i don't know enough about them mm. um but the Aru and Minnie discover that they are children of deities or you know half deities. Of
1: of um, mystical brothers who all yeah. have different powers, yeah.
0: Yeah. So they're kind of related to gods, but they're not immortal.
1: Yeah, but they inherit um, bits of the powers, the yeah. ability to do some of the things.
0: And they, they have uh they inherit weapons that they have to learn how to use. They have, uh, they're able to call upon help from um, the kind of animals associated with um, these deities. Um, So one of them gets a water buffalo and the other one gets a a seven-headed horse, which is pretty cool. And that's all kind of part of the story. There is a glossary at the back, which explains a lot of it, but I did like the fact there was no kind of, pause within the story to do a great deal of exposition and I yeah. thought that was really interesting
1: I mean we uh, said we said earlier that um one of the things Nesbitt was doing was teaching children about history and of course one of the things Chokshi is doing is teaching children about um, Indian legends and Indian literature um, yes. and in both cases not by patronizing the reader um, yes I it's mean, like as the- a child, I would have just read straight through the glossary because I was a gigantic nerd and because the internet didn't exist back then. Yes, exactly. but I'm afraid as an adult I never read casts of characters or glossaries, partly because I'm on an e-reader, so going back and forward to find out yeah, that's, what that- the character is there is Yeah. Just doesn't not as practical as flipping the pages in a book. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean I think I think it's like one of the one of the um, functions of children's literature is to teach children about the world, obviously, and teach children about the traditions they're growing up in. And both of these books do that, although obviously Nesbit did it for British history and and particularly for a sort of a, a type of British history that is focused on, you know, men mm-hmm. who did stuff. Um, you know, what's he called, the great man myth that Churchill was into? Oh, yes. People like oh, Boris Johnson yes. are into the yeah. idea that history is driven by the choices of individuals rather than the idea that history is driven by social forces and, and you know, shifts in who owns the wealth and so on. But um, Chokshi is doing the same thing except for Indian Indian um, culture, which I think I mean- is great because, you know, there was no book when I was a kid, that would have done that, not not no. published in English.
0: There were uh, you could get myths and legends. Oh yeah, I read
1: I read Greek. like the but, the um yeah. the sort of Norse mythology and so on books, but I, I'm not sure that an Indian mythology book for children existed in no. in England back then.
0: I don't I don't remember there being. I mean, there may very well have been, but I
1: but not, I don't definitely not on the shelves of my school library or in the shelves of the town library.
0: Yes. And exactly. I would have
1: found it because again, without the internet, I read every every vaguely fantasy-ish book I could get my hands on, whether it was based off a myth or completely yeah. made up. So
0: I've always loved books of myth. And mm. I, I still love books of myth.
1: So it, I would what have definitely... seen Green who wrote the Norse mythology one. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And again and also... I read
1: straight through Tolkien, you know, from Lord of the Rings straight into the Silmarillion, although I didn't understand any of it, but I still yeah. read it.
0: And I, I think that what must be absolutely delightful for um, k- kids who are from um, Indian heri- of Indian heritage um, mm. coming across these books and reading them, it must be the most. It must be wonderful, and I hope that it com- comes the kind of commonplace to be able yeah. to do that.
1: Um, i mean one of one of the nice things of course is that all of the books from my childhood still exist so nobody is losing anything by publishing more diverse books exactly. but the more but of course not every child in in britain or in america is white and they sh- there should be books from every heritage for children to access you know there, there's essentially yeah. there's, there's essentially a thing where if you only see the world through white eyes you lose all of these other the different um different ways of seeing the world and di- and you essentially invalidate non-white perspectives if that's the anything you can you go yeah. up reading and 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 that's obviously that's wrong so i'm very glad that children can learn you know both the, both the kids of color deserve to see their own heritage in children's books and white kids um should be learning that their own that the white view of the world isn't the only view of the world so.
0: yeah well third around 30 30- I think it's 33 percent of children in English primary schools. I don't know about Scotland and Wales but and Northern Ireland, but in English primary schools, 33 percent are children of color.
1: Yeah, and probably even more in London where I'm based.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that is that's huge. So while I really love this and I, I love the that Rick Walden's using his powers for good, I think he's it's brilliant what he's doing. I do think it's something that we, the British publishing industry, needs to be doing more about because, yes, children um, uh, and a child of Indian heritage in a British school picking up this book would think, wow, a story about someone like me Mm. It's it's still set in the U.S. It's set in Atlanta, Georgia, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And, of course, there's by far more um, children of in- of Indian heritage in Britain. Yes. Yeah, but given the, the history of migration yeah. into Britain, there's huge numbers of, of Desi children living in, Brit- in Britain, by far more, I think, than there are in the States.
0: Yeah. So it really is. Well, certainly
1: more really as a proportion, although, of course, the sheer numbers in the States are higher.
0: Yeah, yeah there really is something that British publishers really need, need to step up to. I mean, it's the last sort of 10 was. or
1: 15 years. There's been a, a sort of a, a big, like by far more, but that doesn't mean like to some extent, there's a, there's a very few writers of colour with high visibility and still the majority of publishing is your Brandon Sanderson or whatever.
0: Yes, exactly. And yeah, uh, Brandon Sanderson fans. Oh, I'm looking for a book about a, an Indian girl living in London. Well, Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> yeah. No, he hasn't. Well, this has been delightful, Kate.
1: Where can listeners find you online? Um, am So I... Um, I have two Twitter accounts. One is my own, which is Kate Preach. So just K A T E P R E A C H. I'm not I've not decided if I'm going to stay on Twitter yet, um, given no. that Musk has now bought, but now that Musk has now bought Twitter, um, I have to decide, you know, what I'll I think I'll partly wait and see on on what Musk does with it. I also have Instagram, which is Kate. Towner so just my name with a dot in the middle, which is largely either pictures of flowers or pictures of cats or pictures of um, my own art. Um, and then I, I also have um, the, the Twitter account fantasy book, book club, except that the last B is a three, um, which is the book club that I and Caroline Mersey run together where we talk a lot about fantasy fiction, which is a, a huge interest of mine. Excellent.
0: Well, I, I will um, put those in the show notes. I uh, completely agree with you about Elon Musk, um, in particular the, the way that it's going to enable uh, more hate speech, and that's really not something I want yeah. to be uh, in support of in any way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm willing to hold off and see where he goes, but... Mm. I think he's been saying lots of different things and we're only in like the second day of his takeover, so we don't know which of those he's actually going to do.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to episode 31 of Fantasy Book Swap. You can find us on Twitter uh, at the moment, at Fantasy Swap, on Facebook at Fantasy Book Swap or email fantasybookswap at gmail.com. You can subscribe to, at most of your favourite podcast places or download from Podbean. Please do rate and review if you can. It helps to satisfy my vanity. And seriously, it also does help other people find the podcast. Thanks to Steve Trails for production assistance and Jack Sadler-Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. Until next time, bye.
1: Bye.